0: This is the last sermon in the series that we've been pursuing for a couple of months now on our ancient foe, our adversary, the devil. And I just want to point out as we begin that while the devil gets a mention in our text, we're not talking about the devil this morning. We're talking about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2. He is the main character here. He is the point of what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to teach. He is the focus. And I hope we notice this already as Ricky was reading from verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, and make note of that, Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. We see him now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Of course, this verse is looking ahead in Hebrews chapter 2 to what follows. It's also picking up themes that the author to the Hebrews began back in chapter 1 when he wrote, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of the Son now, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If that sounds like more power than we as human beings could ever imagine. That's because it is. And Jesus, the Son of God, upholds the universe with that kind of power. Now, I don't want to go too deeply into this this morning, because if the Lord is willing, that's pretty much going to be the theme for our Advent series this year, which will be taken from John chapter 1. So here's the plug. If you would like to explore this deeper, then I would invite you to come back For advent because that's what we'll be looking at but it's clear even from the statements that we've already seen that the power of our ancient foe the power of Satan who is merely a created being that's all he is and his power is not even worth comparing to the power of Jesus Christ the Son of God I know I've touched on this a couple of times already in the course of this series, but one of the two big errors that Christians often make, especially evangelical Christians, when thinking about the devil is that we tend to give him just way too much credit. It seems that if we're not pretending, that he doesn't exist at all, as, as some are in the habit of doing, then we have this tendency to act as if his power is equal to or very nearly equal to the power of God himself. It's almost like some of us have grown up in a culture that has influenced us to believe that we are caught in this spin cycle between two opposite and equal forces that must always be in balance if the universe is to continue on its merry way. And yes, in case that wasn't clear enough, I am referring very directly to the false and evil cosmology of the Star Wars universe. Don't ever let somebody talk to you about how you can find the gospel in Star Wars. You can't. You can try to twist it in some way, but the cosmology of the Star Wars universe is evil. And don't even get me started on the marble universe. See, Satan is a created being. Let's get back to scripture. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. His power is actually very limited. He is not omnipresent. He can't even be two places at once, never mind everywhere at once, the way that God can be. Nor is Satan omniscient. There is absolutely nothing anywhere in Scripture to indicate that he knows everything that happened in the past and everything that's happening now and everything that will happen in the future. He does not. He is an angelic being. And that means that it's probable in some ways that his power is greater than our own. But his chances, regardless of that fact, of upholding the universe by the word of his power, is no better than yours or mine. Not at all. He does not have that kind of power. Created beings... Like we ourselves, or the angels, could never sustain the creation of which we are part. It's just not possible. It's like trying to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. It cannot be done. But Jesus can sustain this universe because he's become part of it, but he's also outside of it. Jesus can uphold all things by the word of his power, and Jesus does uphold all things by the word of his power because Jesus is God. Period. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 tell us that the Son, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. By the way, that superiority over angels applies to the good angels and the bad angels. The fact that Satan rebelled against the almighty God did not in any sense make Satan more powerful than he was before he rebelled, and it did not in any sense make God something less than Almighty. The superiority of Christ over the devil and all his angels is the superiority of the Creator over his creation. It's that simple. As for why... Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become superior to the angels. Well, he became superior to the angels only after he, who was the creator of the angels, was for a little while made lower than the angels, that he might taste death for everyone. The writer to the Hebrews is not for a nanosecond suggesting that Jesus began as something less and then became something more. He tells us flat out that Jesus began as the brightness, the radiance of the glory of God and the express image of his purpose. He also tells us that it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 14 of our text in Hebrews 2 gives us an even clearer statement of this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He partook of flesh and blood that through death... That would be the death of his flesh and blood. That should be obvious, but I just this past week heard somebody say that Jesus died spiritually. Jesus did not die spiritually. He died in the flesh that he might redeem us from the power of death. Um, His flesh and blood was put to death on the cross that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So through death, Jesus Christ destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. But for him who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature to actually die, because he could not die as God, it was fitting and not only fitting, it was necessary for him to be made like his brothers in every respect. Since the children who are being sanctified share in flesh and blood, he who would sanctify them partook of flesh and blood. And it's in that partaking of flesh and blood, that incarnation, that we're about to be celebrating in the weeks to come, that he was made for a little while lower than the angels he was more he entered our world and became less so that through death he might save us and sanctify us but then having died God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember that. What we're about to celebrate, his birth and his life, what we're about to remember, that's not the apex of his life. That's actually the state of humiliation. That's when he was made for a little while lower than the angels, so that he could be exalted again to the right hand of God. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. Bethlehem is not the pinnacle of Jesus' life even, never mind his person. It was necessary but it was necessary for him to be made like his brothers in every way so that he could die on the cross. And he died on the cross that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, our ancient foe. Now, I think that statement bears some attention, given that popular representations of death or of the grim reaper inevitably show sort of a a demonic face as if the devil, or perhaps devils, are responsible for all death. I may not have this exactly right, and if if you're a fan and I am somehow misquoting, then then please forgive me. I didn't want to go back and reread the book, but I have this vague recollection that in one of Frank Beretti's books, there's someone driving this vehicle down the road, and there's this graphic description of the demons who are on one side trying to push him off the road and kill him, but thankfully on the other side of the vehicle are these angels trying to push back in the other direction, and they managed to keep him down between the lines on the highway. I, I can't remember for sure whether that was Frank Peretti, but But it just plays into this idea that we're caught in this balance between good and evil, and the life or death outcome of this battle at any given moment depends on whether the demons or the angels get their way. But again, we don't want to be guilty of ascribing way too much power to the devil. We don't, absolutely not. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, God Himself is speaking. And he says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. Nor, by the way, should the devil ever be considered as a God beside or before the living and true God. There is no God beside me. I kill. And I make alive, I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. As Hannah, the mother of Samuel, prayed in 1 Samuel 2, verses 6 to 8, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, he brings down to the grave, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. The foundations that uphold the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. It's just a statement of God's providence. So the power to take life and the authority to grant authority to others to take life is in the hand of the Lord, our God. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So if Satan doesn't have the power or the authority to kill and make alive, and if you wonder about that, Spend some time reading Job again. Why does Hebrews 2 describe him as he who has the power of death? What is the power of death that the devil actually has? Well, consider verses 14 and 15 together. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that would be Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, Satan's power is not the power to kill, he does not have that authority. If you belong to God, body and soul, in life and in death, Satan cannot touch you. Again, there needs to be a period at the end of that statement. He just can't. He doesn't have the authority. Satan's power, though, is the power of fear. And very specifically, here in Hebrews chapter 2, the fear of death. That's how Satan keeps people in lifelong slavery. Because the fear of death keeps us focused on the things of this world. That's what a bucket list is all about. All the things we want to do, all the boxes we want to tick before we kick the bucket, hence, bucket list. Just for fun, I, I searched the internet this week for some possible bucket list items. These are some of the things that came. I left the most ridiculous ones out, trust me. Some of these seem ridiculous, but, but really, they're not. Um, swim in each of the four major oceans. Visit at least three out of the seven wonders of the world. Complete your education. Find a job you love. Start your own business. Become a millionaire. Retire early. I guess those two things may be go together, and the list could go on and on forever. But essentially all of those things and everything else that I saw when I searched this, these are the things of this world. People are saying, I don't, I don't want to die. I'm afraid of dying young because there's so many things that I want to do. There's so many places I want to go, things I want to see, experiences that I want to have. Things that I want to accumulate. And all of them are the things of this world. And we're afraid of not doing them before we die, so we fear death. We're afraid we won't have the opportunity to see Celine in Las Vegas before we die or she does. FOMO, as they say, fear of missing out. Of course, these days in our crazy world, some people have pared their bucket list items down to simply stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure, and live as long as you possibly can. In some cases, it seems like we don't even want to live so that we can enjoy the best that this world has to offer. Rather, we just want to live, we just want to survive, we just want to make it through another year. But whether it's fear of missing out on something before we die or just plain old fear of death, either way, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and he died for us and for our salvation. He also died that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So we don't need to fear even Satan himself. Now, I'm not talking about foolishness. We dealt with that in some past sermons in this series. Even Michael the archangel, when disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, said, the Lord rebuke you. Don't think that you can just go out there in your own strength and stand toe-to-toe with the devil. That's not what we're talking about. But don't be afraid of him. Not in any way. Christ has prevailed. The devil is a defeated foe. All you have to do is submit to God and stand. Resist him firm in your faith. And then as James wrote, he, Satan, will flee from you. And please notice in that equation, that simple passage from the book of James, who is really meant to be scared of whom? In Christ Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of the devil because in Christ Jesus, as we stand in Christ Jesus, he's afraid of us. But wait, there's more. Christ Jesus partook of flesh and blood so that through death he also might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In Christ We don't need to fear Satan. And in Christ, we don't need to live in slavery to the fear of death. In another place, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Why should we fear? How can we fear what has been swallowed up in victory through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? It just doesn't make sense. Why would we fear something that has already been defeated? And actually, I once read somewhere, and this is kind of an older version. You've been around the Christian Reformed Church a long time. This is from the Red Book. Not the Red Book that came after the Gray Book, but the Red Book that came before the Blue Book. That I... With body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil. That's what Christ did when he died on the cross. He delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. I've had a conversation with God about that and I've come to peace about it. But apart from his will, Satan can't even pluck one more hair from my head. That's how powerless he is in comparison to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And in fact, all things must be subservient to my salvation. Everything that happens to the people of God in this life is in some way God working all things together to bring about their salvation and to bring them ultimately into his own presence and glory. In and through Christ Jesus, we have been delivered. We have been, past tense, delivered from all the power of the devil. Do not fear what you have been delivered from. In and through Christ Jesus, we are now preserved through this life in such a way that we need not fear anything, not even death, nothing. Because all things, must be subservient to our salvation. This is our hope. This is our confidence in Christ. This is the strong tower to which we flee in all of our trials. This is our comfort in life and in death. We belong to him. In life and in death. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Hebrews 2.16 For surely it is not angels that he helps. Jesus didn't come to save angels, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And as Paul wrote in Galatians 3, verse 29, if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And this is the final point. Not only the final point of this sermon, this final sermon in the series, but of the whole series. I, I really try hard not to quote myself too often. It's just, you know, when I make the footnote, it's it's really awkward. But in the first sermon in this series, way back on October third, I said, and I quote, here's the final point. Not only of that sermon, but if the Lord is willing, of every sermon that follows in this series. Here it is. Write it down if you can't remember it, but really it's only six words. We must never, never, and I'm going to make it seven because that seems more godly, never be afraid. Never. If you don't have to be afraid of death and the devil, then really, what do you have to be afraid of? There's nothing. And this is the big idea. It's not about the devil. It's never been about the devil and why we should be afraid of him. We shouldn't be afraid. The Son of God, Jesus, our Savior, took on flesh. He was made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to make satisfaction, to turn aside. Propitiation is one of those beautiful theological words we need to reclaim. It's not just atonement, like the NIV says, not just a covering. It's a propitiation. It's a satisfaction. That's why I read the old version of Lord's Day 1 a little bit earlier. He has fully satisfied for all of my sins. He didn't just cover them up he satisfied God, and he turned aside the wrath of God that would have been on the sins of the people. And because he himself has suffered when tempted, because he's gone through all of this before us, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weakness, but one who has in all points been tested as we are yet without sin. And because he himself has suffered when he When tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The devil is defeated. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is on your side. What else do you need to know? As for the devil, maybe Luther said it best in that song that we sang all those weeks ago. And though this world... With devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us side us. Let goods and kindred go. Don't be afraid of that either. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I don't always do this, but... Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the assurance that in Christ we stand forgiven before you. In Christ we stand in you in such a way that our ancient foe, that old adversary, the devil, has absolutely no power, not over us. And Father, in Christ, he is a defeated enemy. And we have already been raised up and seated with Jesus in heavenly places that in the ages to come, you may show the wonders of your grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, to walk not in fear, not in fear of the devil, not in fear of death, but clothed in the armor of our Savior, Jesus Christ, confident in, that whatever may come our way, we can face it because we are in him. And Father, assured that no matter what happens in this life, even when things go against us and things don't go our way, you are at work in all of those things to accomplish your purpose, even the salvation of our souls. And Father, help us to walk forward then, always looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and knowing that he is our destination and he is our strength and he is the one to whom we ascribe all honor and glory and praise even as we pray in his name amen